The title of this sermon is How to Make the Case for Life. How to Make the Case for Life. We are actually in a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, just going verse by verse. And we're going to take a break today uh, to talk about a very important issue. And then we're going to come back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, next Sunday. So if you want to join us for that next week. On January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States decided that abortion must be legal in every state for any reason during all nine months of pregnancy. That goes down in history as our nation's worst day, as the worst event in our nation's history, as the worst political decision in our nation's history. And ever since that time, 1973, pastors all over America Not all pastors, I would say a minority of pastors, unfortunately, but pastors all over America have taken time in January, at least one Sunday, to preach against the evil of abortion and to to try to teach and equip the church on this particular issue. This morning, I don't want to just try to convince you. I know many of you are already convinced on the issue of life. What I want to do this morning, though, is teach you, equip you how to make the case for life in your sphere of influence as you're talking to friends and family as you're talking to people at work and talking to people at school as you are uh, on social media I want to teach you how to make the case for life and the case for life is really very simple all you have to do is remember three little points this is simple enough for a child to learn in fact in our Home Discipleship Catechism at Church Kidiana. This is one of the questions toward the end. There are 52 question and answers. This is one of those at the end is why is abortion wrong? And the answer is very simple, simple enough for a small child to get to grasp. And and this is basically the same thing. Three simple points you need to remember to make the case for your life. It's a very solid case, very difficult for anybody to defeat. In fact, if anybody takes the time to really think through the case for life, they can be convinced. But the case for life is, number one, murder is wrong. You don't have to take notes yet. Murder is wrong. Number two, and the good thing about that is nobody disagrees with that. Murder is wrong. Number two, abortion is murder. Now, now we're getting a little bit more controversial. A murder is wrong. Abortion is murder. Number three, therefore, abortion is wrong. Very simple case. In other words, if murder is wrong, which we all agree it is, and if abortion is indeed murder, well then abortion, like murder, is also wrong. Now, in case some of you guys think that this is futile, why are we talking about this? People's minds are changing every day on this issue. In fact, a couple of years ago at Church Kittyan on a Sunday morning, we showed a video on abortion. It was by Living Waters, Ray Comfort. Do some of you guys remember that video? Very, very good. Um, It was a documentary. A guy went on the street and just talked to people about this issue and made the case for life. And on the spot, just in those conversations on the street, he was changing people's minds. After that video, I talked to somebody in our church. And I I didn't take a poll or a survey to see how it landed and, and how it affected people. But I talked to one person. He came to home group the following week to small group Bible study. And he said, you know, before that, that uh, video, uh, I would have voted pro-choice. He said, but I'm pro-life now. 
just after watching that 30-minute video. And so people's minds can be changed, are changing, and I hope for some of you that will happen to you this morning. The case for life, let's look at each of these three points in depth. That's all I want to do. I want to equip you to be ready for some of the objections and arguments that you'll hear as you make the case for life. Number one, the first point is murder is wrong. Murder is wrong. Now, what do we mean by murder? Let's talk about murder just a little bit and make sure we're thinking clearly and biblically on this issue. Murder is intentionally killing an innocent human being. It's intentionally killing an innocent human being. Now, not all killing is murder. Not all killing is murder. So when we say that murder is wrong, we're not saying that killing is wrong because not all killing is wrong. For example, it's not murder to kill plants. They're living things, right? I'm a strong believer in products like Roundup and Weed and Feed. Use those regularly in my yard. Uh, a few years ago, uh, when we first moved into our house, there was a bush by the mailbox. It was uh, an Amer- It's called a, an American boxwood. It was a type of bush, if you know anything about landscaping. I didn't like it, so I just ripped it up, threw it away, killed it. Now, that doesn't make me a murderer because it's not wrong to kill plants. It's also not wrong to kill animals. Every quarter... I should say it's not murder to kill animals. Sometimes it can be wrong, but it's not murder. Every quarter we have our exterminator come over to our house. And I really like that guy because of the service that he provides. He comes and he just kills so many insects. I mean, but that's not murder. When I was growing up, I grew up in the country in Youngsville. And one, I guess it was a winter, we had a mouse invasion. I grew up back where Brandy lives, way country, Youngsville. We had a mouse invasion, and I remember I was in bed one night, and, her, and I had my own room, and I had heard some scurrying around in my closet. Now, if you're a kid and you hear some scurrying around in your closet in, in the middle of the night, that's, that's frightening. Turns out there were mice in our house, and so what did we do? We got a bunch of traps, and we killed the mice, and that's not murder. It's not murder. Not all killing is murder. It's also not always murder to kill human beings. Sometimes it's righteous to kill human beings. For example, capital punishment. Capital punishment is whenever the government chooses to kill criminals for certain very serious, the the most serious of crimes. And and that can be a very good thing that can foster and protect human flourishing. It both protects society from the worst of criminals and it also serves as a deterrent from those criminals, uh, from would-be criminals, I should say. In fact, in the Bible, the Bible prescribed, God in the law of Moses prescribed capital punishment for far more reasons than we do in America's political system, judicial system. Uh, In the Bible, God prescribed capital punishment for attempted murder, striking one's parents. Kids, don't hit mom and dad. Uh, And kidnapping, for example. Those are just a few examples of prescribed capital punishment in the Old Testament. Also, another form of killing human beings that is not murder is war. War is not murder. Many, many guys in our church served in the military and some, some women and fought in the war and may have killed somebody. And that's not, that's not murder. It's not murder for a soldier in warfare to kill the enemy in combat. It's also not murder when you kill a human being in self-defense. So say somebody tries to kill you they're attacking you trying to kill you and you kill them that's not murder that's self-defense another example is somebody tries to attack and kill your family members 
and you try to defend them and you end up killing the attacker, again, that's not murder, is it? That's self-defense or defending somebody else. That's a righteous act. Same thing with stealing. Stealing is not always taking something that doesn't belong to you. Sometimes that's not stealing. For example, if somebody's pointing a gun at you and, and you take it from them, that's not stealing. That's called self-defense, right? So murder is not just killing. It's intentionally killing an innocent human being. What does the Bible say about murder? A few things. Murder, number one, is against God's will. Exodus 20.13, one of the Ten Commandments, do not murder doesn't get any more simple than that. Murder is against God's will. Uh, why is murder wrong? This is the second thing that the Bible teaches about murder. Murder is wrong because it violates the law of love. One of the things that I want you discussing in home group this week is not only that murder is wrong, but why is murder wrong? Like, why has God forbidden us from murdering each other? Why did God say that's evil? Why does God say anything is evil? In other words, if somebody said, why shouldn't you murder? You can't just say because the Bible says you can't murder or because the law says, yeah, but is it wrong or not? Why? What makes something morally evil or not? If something violates the moral character and nature of God, that's what makes it evil. And that's why murder is wrong. Intentionally killing an innocent human being, that's not love. God is love. He prescribes us to be Uh, Loving, that's the greatest commandment. Love God, love others. Murder is wrong because it violates that law of love. The Bible says in Romans 13, 9, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment are all summed up by this, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you would just be a loving person, you wouldn't commit murder. That's what makes murder wrong. It's the opposite of love. You're not loving when you murder somebody. A third thing the Bible says about murder is that murder is not something that a true Christian would do. Murder is not something that a a true Christian would do. Nobody would disagree with that, right? 1 John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. No murderer has eternal life residing in him. That means a true Christian wouldn't knowingly have an abortion or participate in abortion knowing that that is actually murder. The only way that a true Christian would participate in abortion is if they somehow convince themselves that it's not murder. But a true Christian does not commit murder. There's something that happens in you when you become a Christian, when you're converted, when you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He indwells you and gives you a new heart that values human life because God values human life. Every human life is precious. The fourth thing the Bible says about murder, murder is wrong, but God is willing to forgive even murder. And that's the good news. God is willing to forgive even murder. First Peter 1.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. The whole reason why Jesus came to earth, the whole reason for the incarnation, Christ coming in the flesh and dying on the cross, he didn't come to save righteous people. He didn't come to save people who hadn't sinned. He came to save the murderers and the thieves and the adulterers. And so there is no sin, including the sin of abortion, that cannot be forgiven. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, if if you've had an abortion or participated or encouraged someone to have an abortion, God can forgive that. All you need to do is confess and say, Lord, I admit that was wrong. 
I didn't know it at the time, or maybe I even knew it at the time, but I still did it. But Lord, I confess it was wrong, and I repent of that. Please forgive me. You confess your sin. God is faithful and righteous. He will forgive you for that. There's no sin that can't be forgiven, except for the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So, that's point number one. The good news is that nobody's going to disagree with you on that point, that murder is wrong. Number two, the second point in the case for life is that abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. Murder's wrong and abortion is murder. Now, this is where it gets controversial, isn't it? In your conversations with people, this is where people start to disagree with you. I want to make the case that abortion is murder. It is intentionally killing an innocent human being. To do that, we have to answer two questions. What is it and is it innocent? What is it? In other words, what are the preborn? Are the preborn or the unborn, are they human or not? What are the unborn? The, the babies that are living inside of their mother's tummies, what is that? What is that? People call it a fetus. Okay, so what? What is it? Is it a human being or, or not? What is it? That's the ultimate question you need to know when you're, when you're debating and, and discussing and studying the issue of abortion. The ultimate question is what is it? What is in there? In other words, if my child is playing in the back room of my house and yells out, Dad, can I kill it? The ultimate question is what is it? I can't answer that question. Until I know what it is. If it's just a, an insect, a roach, sure, kill it. Please, do me a favor. But if it's your sibling, no, you can't kill it. And, you know, this is not one of those issues where, where, well, nobody really knows what it is. Okay, well, let's say that's the case. We're not sure whether or not the unborn are human. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. If that's the case, if we're just at a place where we don't know for sure, shouldn't we err on the side of safety? How many of you guys hunt? Any hunters in here? I'm not a hunter. That's, any, any hunters? All right, so say you're hunting and you've got a deer or so it seems in your sights and you're like, I'm, it looks like a deer, but I'm not sure. It's wearing an orange hat. You never know. Um, what should you do? Pull the trigger or err on the side of safety? Well, I guess it depends on how valuable you think human life is. You should always err on the side of safety. So what is it? Well, scientific research confirms, and there's really no controversy here, that human life begins the moment of conception. Human life begins the moment of conception. Human life begins when an egg and sperm fuse together, forming a human embryo with his or her own DNA. When that sperm and egg fuse together, forming their own DNA, becomes an embryo with its own DNA, that's conception. That moment... Human life begins, according to scientists. Princeton professor Robert P. George, just a couple of quotes for you. From a purely biological perspective, scientists can identify the point at which human life begins. The relevant studies are legion. That means many. Many studies have been done on this. The biological facts are uncontested. The method of analysis applied to the data is universally accepted. Science overwhelmingly supports the idea that life begins at conception. Dr. Jaime Gordon, founder and director of the Mayo Clinic's world-renowned medical genetics program, he submitted the following expert testimony to the United States Congress. Quote, I think we can now also say that the question of the beginning of life, when life begins, is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It is an established scientific fact. 
Theologians and philosophers may go on to debate the meaning of life or purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. So scientifically, biologically, human life begins the moment of conception. Human life doesn't begin at six weeks or or sometimes before that when the heart begins to beat. No, it begins before that, at conception. Human life doesn't begin at 20 weeks whenever an unborn child begins to feel pain. No, it begins at conception. Now, why don't people accept this? If it's biologically uncontested, why do people still debate or dispute that human life begins at conception? Well, what people do is they debate the personhood, the humanity, the full personhood or full humanity. Okay, yeah, human life begins at conception, but they're not fully human. They're not a a full human person at conception. Now, the way that people object to the humanity of the unborn is with four points. And you can remember these four points with the acronym SLED, S-L-E-D. These will come up all the time in your arguments and your debates about about abortion and about the humanity of the unborn. Are they human or not? S is the first one. S stands for size. The unborn are not human. They're not fully human because they're so small, because of their size. My, I'm going to use my son Wrighton to get him to pay attention this morning. I'm going to use him as an example. Wrighton is six years old. And Wrighton is much smaller than me. Stand up, Wrighton. Just stand up. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, can y'all see him? Some of you can't even see him. He's much smaller than me. Is Wrighton less human than me because he's smaller than me? No. Size has nothing to do with a person's humanity. Thank you, Wrighton. You can sit back down. Size has nothing to do with humanity. What about... Level of development. That's the the L in SLED. Level of development. Some people say that the unborn are not human because they're not fully developed. We can go back to my son, Wrighton, six years old. He's not fully developed. His body is not fully developed. His brain, his his, uh, organs are not fully developed. His reproductive system is not fully developed. He is very underdeveloped. Does that mean he's less valuable, less human than a a full-sized, fully developed male? In fact, it's funny... When there's a crisis, like on the Titanic, the Titanic's sinking, who are the most valuable people on the boat? The women and the children. It's funny. Once somebody's born, suddenly the children are even more valuable than adults. But if they're in the belly, then they're less valuable. And that brings us to the E in SLED, which is environment. Some people say that the unborn are not human because they are inside a woman's body. In other words, location. Location. Now, my son, everybody in here would agree, my son, right in six years old, is a human being. Does his location change that? Like, if he went to Alabama, would that change his level of humanity? In fact, if he got on a spaceship and went to Mars, would that change his humanity? Would you suddenly say, well, he's no longer fully human because he's no longer on Earth, he's in Mars? No. Your location, your environment does not change your personhood or your value. And then D, the D in SLED is degree of dependency. Degree of dependency. Some people say that the unborn are not fully human because they cannot survive on their own. They're dependent on the mother. Well, we have several infants in our church, three babies that were born recently in our church, and they're 
completely dependent upon their mothers for life. They uh, cannot feed themselves, cannot change themselves, cannot travel. Uh, well, they're starting to get to, to where they can travel a little bit now. Now they're kind of scooting a little bit, but that's about it. Um, they, they cannot take care of themselves. They are completely dependent upon other human beings for their everyday life, for their survival. Does that mean that these infants are less valuable, less human, that we can just discard them if we want? Of course not. Degree of dependency doesn't affect a person's humanity. The unborn are human at conception. So the first question that we have to ask when we're determining whether or not uh, abortion is murder is, what is it? Are the unborn human? Yes, they are. The second question, though, we have to ask is, is it innocent? Because murder is the killing of an innocent human being, the intentional killing of an innocent human being. So are the unborn innocent? Of course they are. The unborn haven't done anything foolish or wicked for which they deserve capital punishment, deserve to be killed. In fact, all of us in this room would say that the unborn are less guilty. They're more innocent than any of us adults in this room. They haven't committed all the sins and done all the foolish, wicked things that we've done. What about rape? Some people say, yeah, but in the case of rape, I support abortion. Rape is a horrible, wicked behavior for which the unborn are not responsible. Since when do we kill children for the mistakes and the sins of their parents? Human life, human conception, the beginning of human life is a miracle of God. You know, there are many people in this world, in fact, there may be people in our church that are the result of rape. They came out of a, out of a rape. Are they less valuable than the rest of us? Millions of people in this world are, are, are the result of rape. Are they less valuable? Are they less human than the rest of us? Of course not. So, abortion is murder because unborn children are human beings. And human beings are made in the image of God. So, the case for life, number one, murder is wrong. Number two, abortion is murder. And that brings us to the third point. Therefore, abortion is wrong. If murder is wrong, if abortion is murder, well, then abortion, like murder, should be against the law, should be wrong. Now, there's two, there's two problems that we're facing in America right now when it comes to this issue. First of all, there are many people in America and, and in the church, in Christian churches in America, who are pro-life personally, but not politically. And that's something we have to change. The second problem that we're dealing with in the church in America is that there are many people who are pro-life politically. They're convinced that abortion should not be legal, but they don't vote like it. They don't take that to the voting booth consistently. Those are two problems that we have to fix in America, in American Christianity. Problem one, many people are pro-life personally, but not politically. This is the position of many politicians uh, John Kerry, for example, Joe Biden, for example. Uh, you, you'll find many politicians in this, ca- in, in this particular scenario. Now, this comes from the idea that the United States of America is based on limited government and individual freedom, that the government sh- does not have the right to control our lives. And, and that's so true. America is based on the notion of liberty, Liberty, personal freedom. But just because we live in a free country, 
does not mean that we're free to do anything we want to do. That's not how freedom works. We live in a free country, but you're not free to own slaves. You're not free to abuse your children. You're not free to murder people you don't like. You're not free to rob banks or to commit rape. Freedom doesn't mean you're free to do anything you want to do. In Western political thought, freedom usually means this. It means that you can do anything you want to do as long as you don't threaten the life, liberty, and property of other people. And that's why abortion is wrong. This is not a freedom issue. When you commit an abortion, you are threatening, endangering the life of another human being. Some people say, well, the government just shouldn't tell people what they can and cannot do with their own bodies. How many of you heard that before? Well, the problem is that an unborn child is not a part of the woman's body. It's in a woman's body, but it's not a part of a woman's body. If the unborn child is a part of the woman's body, then that means that the woman has four eyes, two heads, 20 fingers, and four legs. And that's called a monster, not a woman. The baby's inside the mother, not a part of the mother. Some people say that a woman should have the right to make her own private decisions. Would it be okay for a mother to murder her two-year-old son if it's, as long as it's in the privacy of her own home? No. Privacy has nothing to do with it. Murder doesn't some, suddenly become okay as long as you keep it private. Some people say that they are pro-life personally, but they don't want to impose their views on other people. How many of you heard that before? They're pro-life personally, but I don't want to impose my views on other people. Listen, sometimes you should impose your views, probably more than you do. And you already do impose your views on others. In fact, sometimes we are morally and legally obligated to impose our views on others. Let's say that you're walking outside of Walmart and you headed to your car and you notice inside a car what appears to be a mother abusing her child inside the car as you're walking past. Now, are you going to say, personally, I'm against that, but I don't want to impose my views on others? Are you going to quickly call 911 and, and do what you can to stop that from happening? You're going to impose your views, aren't you? You're so judgmental. I can't believe you would do that. Or right, let's say that you, know, you, you see somebody attacking another person. Better yet, let's say you're in your neighborhood and you see somebody, what appears to be somebody trying to break into your neighbor's house. Are you going to say, listen, I I don't think that's right, but I'm not going to impose my views on that person. Are you going to call the cops? Are you going to say, hey, get away from there? You're going to impose your views. Sometimes we are morally obligated when it comes to the issue of abortion. Unborn children being murdered, you should impose your views on other people. Saying that you're pro-life personally but pro-choice politically simply doesn't make sense. It's like saying I'm against slavery personally, but I support the choice of others to own slaves if they want to. I'm against rape personally, but I support the choice of others to commit rape if they want to. I'm against theft personally, but I support the choice of others to have the freedom to go rob banks if they want to. Murder shouldn't be allowed in society at all. And abortion is murder, therefore it should not be allowed. And so that's the first problem. Many people say they're pro-life personally, but not politically. It doesn't make sense when you think that through. If you believe personally, if you say personally, I think abortion is murder, 
So it's wrong. Well, therefore, it should also be wrong politically in our judicial system. The second problem, as I stated earlier, that we're dealing with in America is that many people are pro-life politically. But they're not voting like it. There are many Christians, of course, that just aren't voting. You have to take time to vote. You have to take time. You have to keep up with it. You have to remember, when is the election going to be? But some people just aren't voting pro-life, even though they are pro-life politically. Here's some of the reasons. One of the reasons is because a lot of people don't realize that if you vote Democrat, you're voting for abortion today. Almost, almost without fail. Now, we currently have a Democratic governor in Louisiana who happens to be, he says, pro-life. That is so rare. In fact, that goes against the Democratic Party platform, which is strongly pro-choice and pro-abortion. Very rare will you find a Democrat who is pro-life. And so I would say 999 out of 1,000 times when you go to the voting booth and you vote for a Democrat, you're voting to kill unborn children. And many people don't realize that. This is one of the major issues where the Republican and the Democratic parties divide. And yet there are many Christians who say, I'm pro-choice, but they keep going back to the to the voting booth and voting Democrat. And it doesn't make much sense at all. Some people, though, they say, well, listen, I agree with the Republicans on the issue of abortion, but I don't want to be a one-issue voter. How many of you heard that before? Sometimes it's okay. In fact, it's good to be a one-issue voter if the, if the issue is big enough. Uh, let's say that you're dating a girl and um, you, you, you've fallen in love with this girl and you like everything about this girl and you've been dating for two months and you just head over heels in love with her. And she says over dinner, she says, I have to share something with you. I used to be a man. I had a sex change operation and uh, I'm a transgender. Now is that one issue big enough for you to break things off? Suddenly you're a one-issue voter, aren't you? Let's say that you're shopping for a new home and you find this home and the, the location you want, it's got everything you want, and you find out, though, that the next-door neighbor is a convicted pedophile. Is that one issue enough for you to say, I'm going to keep shopping? Suddenly you're a one-issue voter. See, being a one-issue voter is not a bad thing as long as the issue is big enough. So the question is, is the issue of abortion big enough if you are disagree with everything else about the Republican Party, is that issue big enough to sway your vote? Absolutely it is. Since Roe v. Wade, which is the name of the Supreme Court decision in 1973, since Roe v. Wade, around 60 million unborn children have been murdered in our country. 60 million. That's about 1 million unborn children are murdered in our country every single year. That breaks down to about 3,753 every single day. Now, to put that in perspective, that's more than all the lives lost on September 11th, 2001, every single day. That's more than all the lives lost at, in, at Pearl Harbor in 1941, every single day day in America. One of the movements or organizations that's in the headlines lately is an organization that you probably haven't heard of called Black Lives Matter. They are protesting police brutality against blacks, which is a noble thing. 
police put, shouldn't be brutal against anybody. But the real injustice against blacks in our country is against the unborn blacks. Now, let me put this in perspective for you. In 2015, 258 black people were killed by police shootings. 258. Now, maybe some of those were wrong, but that's just total. 258. Now, that's out of 990. 258 were black. Most of them were white. Now, in that same year, 2015, 996 black babies were murdered by abortion every single day. Planned Parenthood alone kills 266 black babies every day with abortion. In New York City, the location of Planned Parenthood's headquarters, more black children are aborted than born. For every 1,000 black children born in New York City, 1,100 are aborted. But Black Lives Matter has nothing to say about abortion. So what's the case against abortion? It's real simple. Murder is wrong. Abortion is murder. Therefore, abortion is wrong. Now listen. Abortion can be defeated in our country. In fact, in 2016, 60 new restrictions have been passed in different states around our country against abortion. Abortion can be changed, and having a new president who's pro-life can do a lot. We could actually see a reversal of Roe v. Wade, which would simply allow states, if they want to, to pass laws against abortion. What do we need to do as a church, as Christians? First of all, we need to speak up for the unborn. You need to make the case for life, and you need to support me as your pastor. Whenever I talk about these issues, you know, I know a lot of preachers who do not touch issues like abortion from the pulpit because they're controversial, because it's political. And I think that's seriously wrong, and I think that's one of the main reasons why our country is where it is today. It's because preachers have not been speaking up. So you need to support me, and you need to get out there and speak up. You know, social media, you might make some enemies. It's okay when you make enemies for the right cause. Also, we need to pray. We need to pray for God's help to defeat legalized abortion in our country, and we need to vote pro-life. You need to get out there and vote if there's no other issue that motivates you to get out there and vote, this is, this is the issue that should at least get you, get, put a fire underneath you and says, I need to get, get out there and get involved and get engaged. Not taking action is not an option for Christians when it comes to this issue. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, it says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. We've got to speak up. We've got to do what we can do. Let's stand together. We'll pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to talk in freedom still in freedom about an issue that our country, our government is wrong about. Thank you, Lord, that we still have that freedom in America. Lord, we ask you, God, to embolden us, to encourage us, to um, give us a fire to get out there, Lord, and to speak up and to do what we can to ensure justice for those who are being crushed in our country. 
Lord, we do pray for an end to legalized abortion in America. And we pray that Louisiana would be the first state to make abortion illegal. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to do our part. We pray for um, President-elect Trump. He's a pro-life uh, president. We pray, Lord, that you would help him to, to make decisions, and uh, Lord, that would protect those unborn babies from murder. And we just pray, Lord, that the tide on this issue would shift. Help us to do our part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.